Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. England, in the 14th century, was in crisis. Famine had torn through the country in the first half of the century, and extreme weather had battered the residents' properties, ports and farms, causing widespread damage, taking years to recover from. The Black Death had swept over the world, killing an estimated 25 million people globally and half of England's population overall. The feudal system was exploiting those surviving workers and capping wages, And to top it all off, repeated wars with France caused the king to pass on those costs to the population in the form of a poll tax. This poll tax was the final straw for the working people, and contempt for the monarchy and the lawmakers began bubbling under the surface. When the king died and his ten-year-old son took to the throne, the peasants knew what they had to do in order to convince the young boy that things needed to change. The only way to get what they wanted was to show their strength in numbers and march to London. However, this wouldn't be a peaceful process. They wanted blood. Today, on Macabre London, we uncover the story of the Peasants' Revolt. Welcome back to another episode. Thanks for joining me today. And if this is your first time watching or listening to an episode, then hi, my name's Nikki and I make podcasts and videos about all sorts of strange, gruesome and macabre history and weird and strange stories from around the globe. So if that's your sort of thing, then please hit subscribe to join the Ghoul Gang so we can hang out again together soon. And if you're not new around here, then welcome back, old fiend. Nice to see you again. Now, for today's episode, we're not actually starting in London. I promise you we'll get back there during our tale, but our story starts in a tiny village in Essex. In May 1381, a tax had been levied upon the residents of England. In order to recoup some of the expenses that had been accrued during the Hundred Years' War, taxes were imposed upon everyone. This tax was a standard fee, and it didn't matter whether you were a farmhand or lord of the manor. The cost incurred was the same for all residents regardless. 
One whole shilling was requested from every person over the age of 15. This meant that households with multiple occupants could be paying an exorbitant amount of money out to the powers that be when they really couldn't afford it. In today's money, the tax per person would have accounted for around two days a week salary, which was a ridiculous amount of money for the common man, or the rustics as they were then known. Multiply this for multiple occupancy households and it would be the equivalent to one or more people in the home working for free, all the time. Of course, the government made up of those rich enough to afford the tax with no issue, being the kind, considerate souls they were, said that it was okay if you weren't able to pay their fee in cash, because they would also accept your belongings as payment too. This could render someone incapable of being able to do their job, crippling their business, and in turn make them even poorer. But if that happened, then they would still not be exempt from the tax. Going back 35 years, the Black Death had decimated the population of England. Those who had survived were often still suffering from long-term effects, or forever infirm from the plague. This generation that survived the Black Death had also had to suffer through the Great Famine, and many people had grown up malnourished as children. This meant that those that were fit, healthy and able to work were in great demand, but for all those that could work, there were also thousands who couldn't due to long-term illness, But of course, they weren't exempt from the taxman knocking at their door either. The population of workers that survived the plague over the next few decades began to demand that they were paid kindly for their often long and arduous hours, covering for their fallen comrades. Farmers, bakers and candlestick makers were more often than not contractually bound to their villages by the landowners and not allowed to work for anyone else. This meant that it was not possible for a common serf to earn more than their landowner was willing to pay them, and as such, they couldn't offset the tax by working extra hours. This got worse when the powers that be realised they could get away with reducing wages for their workers. When the landowners and employers of the rustics grew tired of the heightened wages they were having to pay out, they decided to pass a law which meant the income of these workers was capped, not allowing them to be fairly remunerated for their hard work. After all, by this point, 35 years after the plague, the population was starting to increase again and landowners found a new generation to extort. This, however, wasn't the first time the rustics had suffered an imposition on their earnings. The crowdfunding for war had been imposed three times previously over the past four years by the king, Richard II. Richard was just 10 years old when he took the throne. His grandfather, Edward III, passed away in 1377. His own father, Edward of Woodstock, had passed away a year earlier, in 1376. Edward, who was later referred to as the Black Prince, earned his name from the black armour he wore in battle as the commander during the Hundred Years' War. Edward never lost a battle during his time as a knight, but now older and suffering from a long-term illness and suspected poisoning from an enemy, or dysentery he contracted from his army whilst in Spain, he was weakened and died, leaving his only son to take his place as heir. As we've seen before in previous episodes when any child takes the throne, I'm looking at you, Edward VI, his courtiers took great advantage of the situation, exploiting his naivety and making decisions which were extremely beneficial to themselves and their friends, under the guise of them being the king's wishes. As little Richard was young and impressionable, his aides took advantage of their power, 
and persuaded the king that taxes were the only way to continue to fund the war, bringing valuable funds to their army, and with the king agreeing, a poll tax was imposed across the country. With workers already miffed at the wages situation, the serfdom and yet another unreasonable tax imposed upon them, rumblings in villages about a way to evade the tax started to spread. To begin with, the authorities blindly believed that people were paying the tax, but when they started to do the maths and came up short, they realised that there were plenty of people that had seemingly disappeared from the records overnight, as the payments collected didn't equate to what they should be. One small village in Essex had been singled out as having its population apparently halved overnight. To rectify this problem, a tax collector by the name of John Bampton, accompanied by two protection officers, was sent to the village of Fobbing in Essex to investigate and to recover the missing money. Other nearby villages of Corringham and Stanfordley Hope also suffered the same questioning and indignities from Bampton and his colleague. The villagers were dismayed at the methods used to collect the taxes and were mightily peed off with how they'd been treated. Even though the villagers were technically in the wrong in the eyes of the government, for a society which was predominantly based on trust, the villagers felt they were being betrayed by those they'd bent over backwards for, and certain lines were crossed which were a step too far, and tensions began to rise. With villagers refusing to pay, John went from village to village, asking the residents to pay up, or they would suffer the consequences. As you can imagine, this didn't go well, and the sentiment from each village was the same. They told John to get bent. Following the failed village collection, people across the country started to question where their hard-earned money was going. Three of the king's advisers were the subject of intense scrutiny from the rustics, and were regarded as implicit in bringing about the poll tax to put money in their own pockets, under the ruse of military funding. And there didn't seem to be any evidence to the contrary, which could convince the peasants otherwise. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Simon Sudbury, who was in his 60s by this point, had made his way through the ranks of the church, sticking close by the side of the royals he had served. He had been the one to crown King Richard II and subsequently held a high position in the court and had great influence over the boy king and his decisions. King Richard made Sudbury Lord Chancellor, more than likely off the back of Sudbury's own suggestion to do so, and from that point onward, the rustics were well aware that he was one of the men they had to thank for the taxes that were being opposed upon them. Another one of the king's aides, Robert Hales, who was good friends with Richard's departed father, was also appointed Lord High Treasurer, and he too agreed with the taxation. Between him and Sudbury, they came up with the plan to pat down the pockets of the villagers, which went off the record, and refused to pay up. This made the pair very unpopular with Joe Public. The rustics suspected, however, that the main leader behind the whole idea was John of Gaunt, the king's evil uncle. Gaunt had been part of the royal circle when his own father was alive. As the third son of Edward, Gaunt wasn't in line for the throne, but instead he schemed and manipulated his way through the teenage king to get exactly what he wanted. Gaunt was hugely disliked by the public for a number of reasons. Firstly, he was put in charge of the army after his brother Edward had to retire due to his ill health, 
the Black Prince, who was loved by the public for his bravery and tenacity, was replaced by a bumbling idiot, who was no match for the Black Prince. Gaunt took over as the commander of the Hundred Years' War, and subsequently the army began losing. His actions as an awful leader caused a lot of troops to die from starvation and exposure, and others defected as a result of his incompetence, and this did him no favours. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. John tried to emulate his brother's style of combat and maneuvers, which were aggressive and violent. But as he was lacking in skill, all this did was sacrifice his men, making the army weaker. As a result of his actions, John then decided that the war was unwinnable, and so all that hard work was thrown away when he decided he might begin peace talks, none of which were discussed with the king. Once back from war, and having decided he would act as the head of the government, persuading his nephew to give him the title, he subsequently became the wealthiest man in England, next to the king. Gaunt wasn't afraid to flash his cash, and was known to have the greatest collection of trinkets at his home in the Savoy Palace, an imposing and ostentatious building, the upkeep of which was paid for by the taxes of those up and down the country. He was also unpopular with those in his own government. When his father and brother were both ill and incapable of ruling, John was given the reins. He completely abused this power and tried to null and void a load of laws which didn't serve him and his love of money. The one he resented the most was a plan to have a taxation upon the crown to pay for the war. Gaunt used this time acting as regent to basically filibuster this law being passed, and once his brother and father had died, he annulled any laws he didn't like, causing mass ructions within the commons and making himself highly unpopular, the latter of which allowed him to pass on the cost to the public rather than it come out of his own pocket. Gaunt was entirely unaware of how stupid this was, as he had many people employed to work his land, many of which resented him for their low wages, serfdom and taxes, which they believed they should be exempt from. I can only imagine the amount of spit that went in his coffee on a regular basis. To get their own back on Gaunt, a rumour was created that he was a changeling. John's parents, King Edward III and Philippa of Hainaut, were thought to have had a son which died within a few weeks of being born, and that John had been either purchased or stolen as a replacement. This made him no better than those he taxed, 
and as he lived the life of Riley, the seething hatred for him swept the nation. Any public suggestion of John's existence, such as his coat of arms, when seen by the public, was defaced or reversed, so whenever John left home, he would be able to see how much he was disliked. At one point, an angry mob gathered outside his home and threatened to break in, but they were calmed down and convinced to go away. Gaunt was incensed as to the behaviour of the public and despised the changeling rumour that had been created around him. He didn't understand why he wasn't liked, despite it being pointed out to him on several occasions. But narcissist, just gonna narcissist. Even King Richard was convinced by those in his government to confiscate some items from John, starting with his ship, and sold that along with a few of his own, in order to recoup some funds to pay for the war, and to try and calm some of the resentment toward him. After setting the poll tax, John left his contemporaries to deal with the fallout, and he went off gallivanting. At this point in history, everyone seemed so fed up with him that they didn't even bother documenting where. Anyway, enough with John the idiot for the moment, back to Essex. Two days had passed since the imposition at the Essex villages, and John Bampton made good on his word to return. A few days earlier, John Bampton and his colleagues had tried but failed to collect taxes across the villages and so he requested the townsfolk meet him in Brentwood, a larger and centralised village, so he could collect the monies that everyone owed without having to travel. But during the time John and his tax clerks had been away, the townsfolk had been busy planning. In order to collect the taxes, and knowing that this was unlikely to go smoothly, Bampton had assembled a group of jurors from the local area, more than likely consisting of men who were landowners and not the rustics, so they would more than likely all be found guilty. The people knew that if they didn't pay, they would be arrested and imprisoned, and so the rallying cry went out to cause an obstruction to this process. The appointment of the jurors was spread across the three villages, and by the 1st of June, the peasants knew exactly who they were and who was set to betray them. When Bampton and his small band of soldiers arrived in the town square at Brentwood, the rustics had been busy planning for this moment and were ready and waiting. The population of all three villages, plus Brentwood, had now arrived, and they were armed. When John began addressing the crowd, one of the villagers, Thomas Baker, who, as his name suggests, was the local breadmaker from the village of Fobbing, stood up for his fellow country folk and said that the people of Essex would under no circumstance be paying any more money to the government, as they'd already had enough from them. In retaliation, Bampton ordered Baker be arrested by his men, but angered and incensed at the injustice, the villagers protected Thomas and attacked the arresting officers. Three of the soldiers were dragged off their horses by the rebels, dragged into the square and beheaded in front of the baying crowd. A further three of the known jurors from the villages were also given the same treatment for their betrayal of their fellow villagers. It's assumed the same axe was used for all the executions, and so by this point, the blade would have been quite dulled. That's if it was even sharp in the first place. Seeing the bloodshed, Bampton fled for his life, and so did the remaining soldiers, but it wasn't over yet. Warrants were issued for the arrests of the rebels involved, 
and this only helped to anger the villagers further. As word got around and tax collectors started to visit more villages, the contempt for the government spread worse than the plague had in the years previously, and a plan began to form. If those who set the laws were executed, then there could be no laws. The rebels were building an army, and it would feast on blood. next time in part two I'll be back to reveal the next chapter in the story of the peasants revolt and don't worry it just keeps getting more and more gruesome so if you've not done so already then please make sure you hit that subscribe button or follow me on your podcast provider so you don't miss out when the episode lands thanks so much for joining me for that episode as always I'd love to know your thoughts on this one so leave me a comment on youtube or on my social media if you're listening to the podcast whilst you're here if you wouldn't mind giving the video a like or the show a rating on your podcast provider then i'll be eternally grateful it's so helpful with the pesky algorithm and also it lets me know that you enjoy what i make and that i'm not just shouting into the void of the internet on a regular basis please tell your friends about the show as it's so very helpful in spreading the word and if you're new around here and you've not yet subscribed and you've made it to this point in the episode then what are you doing hit subscribe you clearly like it here and i'd love for you to join the ghoul gang We're a friendly bunch and we seem to be growing in numbers, so do come and join us. Also, if you do like the show and you'd like to support what I do and help me to make more of them, then why not consider becoming a patron like these amazing, legendary executive Patreon producers Amy, Barry, Bethan, Jess, Kate, Mary, Ren, Sam, Sarah and Veronica, and all of our other patrons too. Patrons get an exclusive show from me once a month, you get to vote on what episodes I do next, and also, depending on the tier, you'll get some tangible goodies sent through the post too. If you're not up for a long-term commitment and you'd just like to buy me a coffee or something from the Amazon wishlist, then there's one-off donation links in the description too, or you can use the Acast supporter link at the beginning of the podcast, or the thanks button underneath my video on YouTube. All support goes towards helping me make more episodes and keeping the show going, so thanks very much for your help. It really does mean the world. Also in the description now is a link to my Amazon shop, which sounds like I'm selling stuff on Amazon, which I promise you I'm not. It's just a place where you can see the things I use to make the podcast and my filming equipment in case you're thinking of starting your own show. And there's also just some things on there that I really like. So if you buy anything using those links, then I get a tiny amount back. So if you're considering shopping through Amazon anytime soon, then please have a peek at my page. Thanks for joining me for another macabre tale from London's past. I've been Nikki Druce, and I'll see you ghouls next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.